0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, we are starting a brand new series, as David mentioned, called Love in Action. And during this study, we're going to take a deep dive into Romans 12. So, if you would, join me over the course of the next few weeks just reading Romans 12. Read it a few times during the week. Maybe read it every day over the course of this, uh, this series. And let it start to matriculate in and influence the way you think. When you think about that title of this series, Love in Action, it's important for all of us to keep in mind that love is at its greatest value when it's being deployed, when it's actually being put into motion. Otherwise, it's just a thought or a feeling or a word. And when we think about it, words don't mean as much if they aren't backed up with actions. We have a lot of sayings that reflect that in our culture. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. My first boss used to say it. All the time. It's one thing to sing the Star-Spangled Banner. It's another thing to join the army. And he was right. Think about it. Some of you have heard from your parents or you've heard from other people over the course of your life. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Or talk is cheap, but actions are priceless. I'm pretty sure all of you have heard this. Actions speak louder than words, right? Right. Or practice what you preach, right? If you're going to talk the talk, then you've got to walk the walk, right? You know, there are a lot of people that talk the talk, but they never seem to ever walk the walk. They never take action. And then there are those people who talk the talk and regularly they follow through and they walk the talk. People like that are truly awesome, aren't they? I want to be more like that. You see, talk is cheap, but actions are priceless. In Romans, the 12th chapter, Paul gives us the actions that we should take. And when we do, we show our love. It's evident. In all of Paul's letters, he begins by explaining the theology or the doctrines, the truths that he wants the people to know, the teachings that he wants the people he's writing to to know. And then he concludes the letter with a list of practical duties that are based on these truths or these doctrines. In the Christian life, doctrine and duty always go together hand in hand. What we believe helps us to determine how we behave think about that. What we believe helps us to determine how we behave. Often there is a truth that everyone agrees with in principle, but when you look at how it gets lived out, very few people actually live it out. Paul is making the point that knowing or simply agreeing with a doctrine isn't enough. He's requiring action from us. James agreed with the Apostle Paul because if you remember, James was the guy who said faith without works is dead. That's not really faith at all if there's no works that comes as a result of it. We must translate our learning into living and show by our daily lives that we trust God and that we love God. Paul lays out the theology or the doctrines In the first 11 chapters, and then in the 12th chapter, he gives us the heartbeat of this theology. In this section, Paul focuses on key relationships that we have in our lives. And he starts with the most important. It's our relationship with God. If we have a healthy relationship with God, we will have the potential to have healthy relationships with all the other people who are part of our lives also. In 1 John 4.20, John writes, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Loving God helps us to love everyone else. And yet loving others is evidence that we love God. These two are so uniquely linked, they can't be separated. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, if you want to follow along on your device, your phone or tablet or whatever. Romans 12, we're going to start with verse 1, all right? Listen to what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you notice, Paul begins here with the word therefore. Therefore is just a, just a translation kind of Bible theology, kind of understanding Bible theology a little bit. Is, therefore is a roadmap. It's a, it's a sign on the roadmap. It says something significant is coming. I always remember it. Somebody told me years ago, therefore is therefore a reason. So, there's something important that's going to follow. And then what Paul says after that is he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. There's this passion in him. He begins by saying, I urge you to the readers of this letter. Not simply instructing them or directing them to follow what he says. He's motivating them based on what he's argued before the, in the previous 11 chapters. Rather than simply just commanding them to follow, he's leading with them. He's urging them to do what he says. And then he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. With God's mercy, Paul is explaining the leverage that he has for the appeal that he's about to give them. You see, God's grace and God's mercy We're nothing that you and I earned. You've heard it said around here, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And Paul is saying, as he starts this chapter, consider what I'm about to tell you in light of the mercy of God. The mercy that God has shown to every one of us what we deserved, he explained earlier in this letter in Romans the third chapter, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It was our sin that created the separation, created the problem between our, in our relationship between us and God. And then he said in Romans six twenty-three: for the wages of sin is death. Let that sink in just for a moment. The cost or the price of our sin could only be paid for through death. And then he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. God showed us his mercy when he didn't condemn us to hell for all eternity. That could have been the the cost that we had to pay. It was all because of our sin. And yet, instead, he put into motion his plan of redemption. Never forget what we deserved. But always remember that God has shown us incredible mercy. You see, pagans in the first century would have offered sacrifices to their gods in order to obtain mercy. Whereas biblical faith teaches that divine mercy, already experienced, provides the motivation for sacrifice. It's what drives us. It's what motivates us. And sacrifice is a fitting response for someone who has been the recipient of God's mercy. Paul makes the case that the Christian should dedicate himself or herself to God in this text. And there's a key point that comes out of, out of that dedication and that is this: put your love for God into action. Paul urges us because of God's mercy to put our love for God, into action. And we're going to see three ways that he challenges us in this text to do just that. The first is, you give God your body. You give him your physical body. We read in the last part of Romans 12, verse 1, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You should underline that if you have a Bible. That's a key That's a key reference for those of us who are followers of Christ. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This phrase he uses here, your bodies, it encompasses a lot. It comes from the Hebrew view of the word bodies that refers to the whole person, the total being of an individual. And Paul views this body as the vehicle that implements the desires and choices of that redeemed individual. Our body is essential for making contact with the people where we live. It is through our body that we serve God in righteousness. Our body is the conduit that God is going to flow through. But this will only happen... It only works when we allow God to work through our lives. So i me to push the pause button for a moment and ask, is this the description of the way you live? And I'm asking myself, is this the description of the way I live? See, I think it's easy at times to go through life where we're just checking boxes like, oh, I did that, I did that, and not allow God to have this prevailing kind of part of my life as though every facet of my life is a living sacrifice dedicated to him. We start out that way, but then it kind of erodes away, doesn't it? We start doing this little thing for ourselves and this little thing for And before we know it, God has this little margin over here, but the rest of it. You see, before we trusted Christ, we used our body for sinful pleasures and sinful purposes. But now that we belong to Jesus, we want to use our body for his glory. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verses 19 and 20. He said, do you not know that your bodies?" Are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, there's that word again honor God with your bodies. The Christian body is God's temple because the Spirit of God dwells within the believer. And it is our privilege to glorify God, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit through our body, through all that we do with our body. Several years ago, and I say several years ago, I mean probably 25 years or so ago, I got two tickets to see the Reds play the Cubs up at old Riverfront Stadium. Some of you remember Riverfront I got there, and I knew these were good tickets, but I didn't realize how good they were. They were 10 rows directly behind home plate. The major league scouts that were there scouting both the Cubs and the Reds were sitting behind us. That's how good these seats were. And it was a great night. We had a great time, my friend and I. The next day, another friend called me and said, hey, do you want to go to the Reds game with me tonight? And I said, well, you know, I just went yesterday. But he said, well, the tickets are really good. And I'm like, I sat behind home plate. I mean, what are you talking about? So I said, sure. It was a friendship that I, I valued and I loved baseball. So we went to the game and we were sitting in the second row down the right field line, right by first base. And some of you may remember Andre Dawson was the first baseman for the Cubs at the time. And I had no idea how huge this guy was. He was a giant. And I was able to, to recognize that because I was just actually spitting distance away. I mean, I really, I was so close. After both of those games, two games so close to the field, night to night, back to back, I realized the only way you could experience the game any better than I had in those two nights was to actually suit up and go onto the field and play for the Reds. Deciding to worship God with your whole body is like putting yourself on the field and being part of the game, not just a spectator who watches it. If you want your worship to be an expression of your love for God, then offer your body as a living sacrifice to Him. Be a player in the only game that really matters and only ever will ever matter. Don't be watching from the stands and missing out on significantly fulfilling experiences. Put your love for God into action. God has given each of us specific talents and abilities that he wants us to use in order to bring glory to him. And you know what? Only you can use those gifts and talents for the kingdom because God gave them to you. He didn't give them to anyone else. When we yield our bodies to the work of God, it allows that he might continue his work through us. We yield all aspects of our body as tools for righteousness that the Holy Spirit can use. Earlier in the letter of Romans, Paul wrote in Romans 6.13, he says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Think of yourself as, a, as an instrument of righteousness, part of the orchestra of the church. It's easy to use our lives for sinful purposes. In fact, I don't think it takes much energy or effort at all to use your life as, as for sinful purposes. But we need to be intentional. Intentional. If we're going to use our lives for God's purposes, the word that he uses, offer, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That word offer means to offer once and for all. Paul calls for this commitment once for all this commitment of the body to the Lord. You're going to. Commit your body. You're going to commit yourself as a living sacrifice once and for all, he says. Just as a bride and a groom commit themselves to each other in their wedding vows. Yesterday, Ann and I went uh, to Madison County for a wedding of Hunter England and Spencer Poulter. Hunter is one of our worship leaders and Spencer is one of our drummers. And uh, why anyone would ever marry a drummer, I don't know. But uh, the truth is, all due respect to Dan, who's back there. Love you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you're the exception, Dan, right? But uh, what it, it was so good. It's always so fun and refreshing to hear a couple pledge their love to each other and to say that they're going to dedicate their lives to the purpose of bringing happiness and joy, and love to the other person. It's this once-for-all kind of commitment that happens at the marriage altar that Paul is saying happens for every believer. He's calling us to that. And it determines what a couple will do with their lives in the years that come in marriage. But it also, it's the same idea for every believer what we will do with our lives in conjunction, in conjunction with God. Now, Paul gives two reasons in this text for this once and for all kind of commitment. The first one we've already looked at. He said it's the right response to all that God has done for us. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, it's just, it just makes sense that we would respond to God's mercy this way. And the second reason for this once-and-for-all kind of commitment is this commitment reinforces true and proper worship, he says. It means that every day is a worship experience when your body is yielded to the Lord. The way we live and the things that we're involved in and the matters that we invest our life and our finances in are always we worship God and they're expressions of our love for Him. When pondering the concept of worship, the three wise men were on to something I think is very significant. You remember those three guys that we read about in the narrative every year at Christmas? We talk about the Christmas story. When they heard that Jesus was born, these three kings from the east set out to worship Jesus. And they didn't come empty handed. Taking a cue from Old Testament worship, they brought these valuable gifts with them to present to the newborn king, this baby. We call him Jesus. In Matthew, the second chapter, verse 11, we read this. He says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Bible scholars often debate about the symbolic meaning of these gifts, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But one thing they never debate on, it is, it is rock-solid certain, is that these were extremely valuable gifts intended specifically to be offered to Jesus as part of their worship of him. True love toward God always has a cost. It may not be in dollars and cents. It might be in sweat equity. It may cost you emotional pain, but there's cost. King David had a keen sense of this also. The prophet Gad had directed David to go and build an altar on the threshing floor of Urana, the Jebusite. And when David arrived, he told Urana that he wanted to buy his Threshing floor in order to build an altar to the Lord. And we read this in Samuel, this 24th chapter, what happens as a result. It says, Orana said to David, Let, let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are slush, threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your Majesty, Orana gives all this to the king. Orana also said to him, "May the Lord your God, ex- may the Lord your God accept you." But the king replied to Orana, "No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing." So David brought the threshing, bought the threshing floor and the oxen, and paid fifty shekels of silver for them. True love. In action always has a cost to it. I don't like bait and switch. I don't like telling people one thing and them getting all excited about it and then getting over here and going, wait a minute, nobody told me about the cost. I want you to know that if you're going to live a life that's a living sacrifice for the Lord, there is going to be cost involved in that at times. It's the price of loving God. The end of Romans twelve one says that the offering that offering our lives as living sacrifices is to be your true and proper worship, which is kind of interesting because that 's the NIV translation, and that doesn't that 's kind of confusing to me. What does that mean true and proper worship? I understand what it but I learned it as the NIV 1984 version, which was, this is your spiritual act of worship. Well, when I started digging around in this, everybody has a different rendering in their different translation. The King James Version says, which is your reasonable service. This is the idea that the sacrifice we make is intelligent, intelligent but it's also deliberate. Probably the New American Standard comes the closest to the intended meaning when it says, this is your spiritual service of worship. It captures not merely the idea of the adoration of God that happens in worship, but it covers the entire range of a Christian's life and their activity. Service is always the proper accompaniment for worship. Worship. If you want to know how to worship God on a minute-by-minute basis, recognize opportunities to serve Him because those go so closely together. So first, give God your body to put the love that you have for Him into action. And then Paul gives us a second way that we can put our love for God into action, and that is to you give God your mind your mind. He says in Romans 12, verse 2, the first part of verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The key point in this is really important to recognize. And I think a lot of us miss this. It's the way you think is crucial. Sometimes we don't really think it's that big a deal, the thoughts that we have. But it's vitally important in order to put your love for God into action. The way you think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Think about that. My thoughts influence who I am. The mind is the leader of all actions. In Romans 8, verse 5, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It's vitally important for us to remember our actions are a direct result of our thoughts. My actions are a direct result of my thoughts. There's a powerful word that Paul uses in this part of the text. It's the word transform. And in in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word metamorpho. And you'll see that we actually got our English word from that. They transliterated it instead of translating it. And it's the word metamorphosis that we use in English. Probably the classic example of metamorphosis that we see a lot at least I learned when I was in elementary, it was the caterpillar making a cocoon and then emerging as this beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis describes a transformation that happens within. The world wants to change your mind. It wants to influence your mind. It wants to direct your mind. And it exerts pressure on you from outside to try to influence that. But the Holy Spirit that dwells in the believer changes your mind by releasing power from within. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a thought just pop into your head? I mean, it's kind of random. It's not, it's not that it was prompted by any other thought or by anything that was happening at the time in your life. It's just like it came out of nowhere. Often, that is the enemies of God trying to influence our thinking. If the forces of darkness can encourage a lustful thought or a hateful thought, they will because they know that it will lead to a sinful action. You will rarely carry out a sinful action without first having a conscious decision to act. That's why Paul encouraged that we take great care in what we think about he told the church in Philippi, he said in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God can transform our minds and make us spiritually minded by using his word, the Bible, God can transform our minds when we spend time daily reading and studying the Bible. And as we spend time meditating on God's Word and memorizing it and making it part of our inner being, God will gradually make your mind more spiritual, more like the mind of Jesus, more focused on the things that are vitally important to God. So give God your body and your mind in order to put the love that you have for God into action. Well, there's a third way that Paul recommends or suggests that we put the love that we have for God into action, and that is you give God your will, your will. I'm not talking about your will and estates, your, you know, document that gives everybody all your stuff when you're gone. I'm talking about a different will. He talks about it in the last part of Romans 12, too. He says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Your mind controls your body, but your will controls your mind. Let me say that one more time. Your mind... your your mind controls your body, but your will controls your mind. Many people think that they can control their will by willpower, but usually they fail. And that was Paul's experience. I mean, the great apostle Paul, listen to what he writes in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody identify with this? And then he says down, a few verses down in verse 19, he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Paul's putting into words what all of us know. There is a struggle that goes on for the control of our will. There is a struggle for that. It is only when we yield our will to the Lord that his power can take over and give us the willpower or the the won't power that we need in order to be victorious Christians. And this all happens during prayer. It is during prayer that we surrender our will to God. Pray with the example that Jesus gave us. Remember in the garden... He's agonizing. The cross is ahead of him. And he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When we pray, we must pray about everything. Let God have his way in every area of our lives. Line your will up with his heart and his mind. Line your will up with his word. Let me give you a simple formula, kind of an overview of this whole talk for putting your love for God into action. And I mean pragmatically to, to put it into action. The first is this. Begin every day by surrendering your body to God. Just announce it to the Lord. Lord, I give you myself today, my whole being, everything about me. And then take time. Secondly, to spend time in his word and let him transform your mind and prepare your thinking for the day that is ahead for you. And then thirdly, pray and yield the plans of this day to God and let him work as he sees best. When you do this, you will be preparing yourself to start the day by yielding to God your mind and your body and your will and this will prepare you to put the love that you have for God into action. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time as we start this brand new series, and we remember all that you have done for us. As we talk about Romans 12, we're standing on the on the foundation that Paul laid in the first 11 chapters, and there's so much there, Lord. But we thank you for the reminder this morning that the mercy that you have given to us is not something that we were deserving of. In fact, we were, because of our sins, worthy of death, but you showed us mercy, and for that we are grateful. Lord, will you use this mercy to motivate us to live as living sacrifices for you? Our our body and our minds and our wills all dedicated to you. I pray for courage, God, for every believer in this room today to put his or her love into action in this way. I pray that our lives will bring you glory through all that we do with our body, all the thoughts we think in our minds. And, God, with everything we do with our wills. And, Lord, I just acknowledge today that none of this happens, none of it, without Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no grace applied in our lives, and there is no mercy received. Thank you for Jesus. Without Jesus, we'd still be accountable for our sins. Thank you, God, for Jesus. It is only through Jesus that we receive this forgiveness through the gift he gave us on the cross, that ultimate sacrifice that washes away the sins of man. Jesus is the only way that we have to go from death to life. Lord, I pray that all of us will put our lives into Jesus. Thank you for that relationship pray this in his precious name. Amen.